not a huge movie buff. That is, like I watch movies, but I don't necessarily like study and follow movies from a historical perspective, okay? So I'm no like Academy Awards expert. I don't really know much about who's winning what in terms of Oscars. But it's interesting to note that uh, the Academy Awards ceremony in 1975, everybody expected the Oscar for Best uh, Actor to go to my main man Al Pacino for his role as Michael Corleone. Corleone? See, I don't even see... Jerry's going to kill me. I, I think I've seen these movies like a long time ago, but, you know, maybe it's... My non-Italian blood, it just doesn't, doesn't pull me in. I don't know. But everyone thought Al Pacino was going to win. At the very least, if it wasn't going to be Al Pacino for his role in The Godfather 2, it would probably be Jack Nicholson for his role in Chinatown. Does anyone even know these names or movies? Okay. Okay, I haven't seen Chinatown either. So not sure what to say about that. And so the uh, person reading, the, and the winner is, got up to the front, and everyone expected to hear Al Pacino or Jack Nicholson, but they were all shocked and surprised to hear someone by the name of Art Carney winning what many would consider to be the biggest Oscar upset ever, uh, though some of us remember the silliness around La La Land and Moonlight a few years ago where they read the wrong card, and the whole La La Land crew came up and was high-fiving, and then the other guy, wait, no, he read the wrong envelope. This is not a joke. It's moonlight. And everyone was like, that's messed up. <laughs> well, to, to hear Art Carney in his role of Her in Harry and Tonto, uh, anybody seen that movie, Harry and Tonto? I think it was just about some dude and his cat <laughs> winning the Oscar of 1975 for Best ask ask Actor. Uh, that was kind of a shock uh, for them. And so we're shocked at the name that's read. And I wonder if many of us, as we've been walking through this Sermon on the Mount, these Beatitudes, if we're not uh, in a little bit of a state of shock about the names of the people that are being read here. Right? Jesus has been talking about uh, certain people that are blessed people. Those who... Uh, for lack of a better phrase, to connect, win God's favor. Those who have God's approval, who live in the happiness and joy of his blessing and his approval. We might expect those who are uh, spiritually competent or religious, the religious rich. You know, people that do all the right things and uh, have studied all the, the scriptures and know them inside and out. You might expect those uh, who uh, just, uh, just have it all together on the outside uh, to be those whom God approves of and blesses. But we're shocked because as we see Jesus walking through these Beatitudes, he's saying that, that blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are spiritually bankrupt before God and live in the recognition of that. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, those are blessed people. Those who mourn over their sin, who know 
their unrighteousness, who know who they are and what they've done and their desperate need of God, those people live in God's blessing? Yes, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. And then we add the meek. Blessed are the meek. Those who are serving, <laughs> those who are submitted to God and others are those who live in God's blessing. That's a shocking thing. We would expect the names to be different. That Jesus says is blessed. We're in our fourth beatitude today. There's eight of them. If you're following along, you may be looking ahead as we go slowly through this. We're in our fourth beatitude today of eight. And so we ask the question, who does Jesus say next is the blessed person? The one who lives in the joy and happiness of God's approval. And not only who they are, but why would Jesus say that these particular people are ones who are the happy, happy recipients of his blessing? So let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Matthew 5, 1 through 6. I'm just going to read through verse 6, and then we'll kind of just build on this week by week. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is God's word and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Here's what I'm going to start with, this simple premise, is that we are a people that are driven by desire in the hope of lasting satisfaction. I'll say it again. We are a people driven by desire. We go after what we want in the hope of lasting satisfaction. Now desire, if you come from a Buddhist perspective, actually becomes a problem that we try to get rid of. If you know uh, much about Zen Buddhism, as it continues to find uh, different names in its expression, even in culture today, some of its practices, like uh, mindfulness, if you may know as this is kind of infiltrating our culture today, you'll know that this is what they believe, that, that living is suffering, that in this life, we suffer. And that really the origin of such suffering is attachment. Right? That we suffer because we're attached to something. To be more specific, the attachment to the, to the desire to have. We have cravings. Attachments come from cravings. Okay? And the desire to not have. We have cravings and we have things that we, do, that we are averse to. Things we want, cravings, things we don't want. Those are attachments, and according to the Buddhist, attachments enslave. Desire is a bad thing. 
And that for the Buddhist, um, the idea is, is that we want to remove desires. If we can remove desire and we can remove attachment, then we can avoid suffering. Does that make sense? You follow me? So desire is bad. So the process of meditation is bringing about detachment. We're no longer attached to something. We're meditating, we're, we're looking in, and we're detaching from. That's what the Buddhist says. That's where mindfulness is bringing us today in a self-emptying sacrifice. Empty yourself of desire, detach yourself from reality, and then escape suffering. One might say that a, a Buddhist beatitude would be this. Blessed are those who do not hunger. Blessed are those who do not thirst. But again, I think that that concept really swims uh, uh, against the stream of human nature and how we're wired. I think we're a people driven by desire. And we long for joy. We long for lasting satisfaction. I mean, maybe I'm just projecting me onto all of you. Or maybe it's just a mazy thing. But it seems like every day is full of demands, desires, and wants. I'm, I'm self-emptying. <laughs> no, I, I know what I want. I'm going after it. My kids know what they want. They're going after it. Dad, can I? Can we? Starbucks, Chick-fil-A, me, me, me. Florida, Disney, PS4. Desires drive us. We want something. There's something missing. There's a perceived lacking in our experience. And lack produces longing. Just say it simply like that. If there's a perceived lack, we long for it. We want it. And that, that, that experience and feeling of longing after something, it just, it produces, uh, it pursues satisfaction. Lacking leads to longing. Longing pursues satisfaction. I think that's just human experience. From the big things in life to the littlest of things. At the end of the day, we want joy. We want to know life. We crave it. We long for it. A sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. And all too often we find ourselves lacking that and, and, and empty and void. I think this is true physically, isn't it? Lacking produces longing. Longing pursues satisfaction. This is physical. We talk about hunger and thirst all the time. Now granted, in our day, we don't really know hunger the way Jesus' time would understand it in terms of a famine, right? I mean, if you look past it the last 30 to, to 50 years, we can look uh, across the globe and see famine, right? Ethiopia, Somalia, um, Yemen, um, and, and people die because there isn't food. Like that, that craving for food, that basic need for, for bread is, goes unmet and people die. 
And so when Jesus is talking to these people, they're thinking not just like, oh, it's 11 a.m. and I'm starting to growl for Chick-fil-A. No, they're talking about it to people who have literally understood what it means to be famished, to go without, a physical crave and need and a pursuit. Where is my food? Where is my water? Like, again, going over to uh, thirst, we don't really know drought the way that maybe these folks would have understood. It's a physical reality that we understand. And yet we still do hunger and thirst throughout the day in our lives, so we understand it, maybe not the magnitude of what these people would have understood, but we still understand the human the physical desire for food and water. Like, it's just how we're wired. We need food, we need water. We have cravings, we go after it. We eat, we drink, we're full. And there's a satisfying thing to a full meal. Some of you, five days away, know what I'm talking about. Thanksgiving. We're about to fill ourselves to the overflow. Um, so... There's a satisfaction and actually a sadness uh, that comes with so much fullness. Oh, Lord, what did I do? But there's a satisfaction when we're full. When we have a uh, thirst that is quenched. But the deeper reality here is not the physical, right? It's the spiritual. That in some ways, even the physical experiences that we have of hunger for food and, and thirst for water... It really it becomes a, a metaphor for something deeper inside of us, and that's a spiritual hunger. It's a spiritual thirst. That the physical always points to the deeper issue of the physical. I'm sorry, the spiritual. Right? We understand the psalmist when he uses those words. Like, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul, what? Pants for you. Or from Psalm 62, Right? My soul thirsts for you. My f- flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Spiritual thirst. Spiritual uh, craving. Hunger. And we, we understand that, that in all reality there are seasons of life, and maybe you're in that season now, where there is an intense hunger inside of you spiritually. You feel that emptiness. You understand the void. You understand the, the, the inner turmoil. I've said to Doreen over the years, I don't understand. Like, I'm just, some, there's restlessness in me that really has no logical explanation. Just something's wrong. I'm restless. Right? There's something broken and empty. I know, I just, so maybe you're there today. Maybe you're the hungry, thirsty soul that's aware of its, its, its own emptiness, the void in your heart, that no matter how much you eat, no how much you drink, no how much pleasure you get physically, there's a deeper hole that you need to fill, that is empty. There's a deeper hunger, a deeper thirst. And we, we give ourselves, in the midst of this turmoil and emptiness and depression and the, uh, the lack of peace, the anxieties we feel, the, the restlessness. In the midst of that, we go after all these distractions to try to make us feel better about it. Physical. 
We, 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 we go after pleasures that dull the pain of the inner emptiness we feel. And some of us grab onto cliche bumper sticker truth to just be more positive in the moment. Right? Feel better. Just positive thinking. But still something's missing. Something's off. Something's wrong. It's not really working. We continue to navigate through those seasons of emptiness and dryness in the wilderness, weary in a land without water. And yet Jesus in this beatitude lays out so much hope for the hungry soul, doesn't he? He lays out so much hope. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. He is not Buddhist. It's not the same. Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity. It's not the same, guys. They're different. Altogether different. Altogether practices, beliefs, altogether different gods. He recognizes who we are. He's made us. All things were made by him and for him. Christ made us. He knows how we're wired. That desire is not a bad thing. Desire's not the problem. So if you're in a place of hunger and thirst, Jesus says, you're in a blessed place. You're, in a, you're, you're someone who lives in, a, in an awareness and a condition that really opens wide the door for you to receive a pronouncement of the blessing of God in your life. So if you're hungry today and you're thirsty, be of great hope today. Be of great hope. There's hope for us. But we got to be careful because he's specific about what is hungered for. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, hunger and thirst itself is not a blessed state. You follow me? Hunger and thirst itself is not a blessed state. No, he's very specific. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're the ones that live in divine approval, that live in the joy and happiness of divine approval. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're the ones that have hope. They're the ones who have hope. So it might be important for us to ask the question, what does Jesus mean by that? What do you mean righteousness? Well, I know what you guys are thinking. You're like, man, we just went through Romans, and we know all about righteousness. Man, oh man, all, how many weeks? Man, we learned all about righteousness. We heard all about it, Romans chapter 3, right? We heard all about justification. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ are justified, meaning declared righteous in God's courtroom. You're righteous. Blessed are those who uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Paul told us all about it. 
Yes, he did. It's an imputed righteousness. It's a credited righteousness. What was, is Christ righteous is now credited to you. Now you stand in his righteousness before me. But this ain't Paul. You've got to be careful. This is Jesus in Matthew. So we ask the question, what does Jesus mean about righteousness? I think we'd be forcing something if we put Paul onto this. Justification. No. When, in, when we're in Matthew, we're talking about a righteousness that is lived out. We're talking about a righteousness that is lived. We're talking less about justification, and we're talking, if I can use those terms, follow me, we're talking more about sanctification. We're talking more about a life, as D.A. Carson says, a life that is in conformity to the will of God. So using Carson's definition, we're saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a life in conformity to the will of God. Those who are blessed. That's different. It's not unconnected to justification, but it's not the same as. You follow me? Or as Quarles put it, which I appreciated his quote, he says that this righteousness that Jesus talked about is an actual, personal righteousness. In many ways, the hunger inside of us is this. I, I want to be righteous. I want to live righteous. I do. That's what I hunger for. I hunger for a life that is lived in conformity to God's will. That's, that's what I want. I want to be righteous. I want to live righteous. He says it's an actual personal righteousness that results from one's relationship with God. There's your justification. Got to be careful about order <laughs> that results from one's relationship with God. Because I have a relationship with God where I stand before him innocent in his courtroom. Someone say amen to that. Because I have that relationship, now I want to live righteously. I want to conform to God's will. That's what I crave. That's what Jesus is saying. It's the righteousness of sanctification rather than the righteousness of justification. Hugely important here. It's a result of one's relationship with God. It's a desire to be conformed to the image of Christ. The one who speaks. I want to become like Jesus. It's almost like Paul later on in Philippians 3. I just press on to take hold of. Going after Jesus. I want to know him. I want to share in his sufferings. So that I might share in his glory, in his resurrection. I want to live like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to share in his nature. I want to represent him and reflect him in what I say and what I do. When people look at me, they see a mirror image, a reflection of the nature of Jesus. That's what I hunger for. That's what I thirst for. That righteousness. Really, it's just, if you just back up and go 30,000 feet here, this is just a deep hunger for God. It's a hunger for Christ. 
You know who he is. You understand what he has done for you. And now you want all of them. I want to like Jesus. I want to live in conformity to Christ's will. There are so many pursuits laid out in this world for us. So many forfeit, um, um, so, counterfeits. Thank you. So many counterfeits. But I want Christ. I want to live like Jesus. I want to be in conformity to the will of God. That's what my heart hungers for. That's what I thirst for. If that's you today, Jesus says you're blessed. If there is within you a genuine thirst and hunger for a life that is in conformity to his will, that is, that is um, a representative of Christ in his nature, his goodness, that's characterized by obedience and submission, joyful obedience and submission, then you are blessed. You are blessed. You are living in divine approval. You understand who he is. You trust in Jesus, and now you hunger for him. That's why you're blessed. But not just that. The blessing doesn't come just from being hungry again. It comes because of what Christ pronounces to the person that is hungry and thirsty for this righteousness. It comes because of the promise given. What does he say? Why are they blessed? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they shall be satisfied. Hear that word today. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, this is what Jesus says. You shall be satisfied. The hunger, the thirst, I'm going to fill it. I'm going to satisfy your heart. Everything you long for and crave, I'm going to give it. What an awesome word that we hear. There's great hope for the hungry soul. For Jesus promises full satisfaction for those famished for righteousness. So in the midst of your struggle today, in the midst of your hungers, in the midst of your thirsts, hear that word. As you uh, just battle against competing desires, as you wrestle with the inner turmoil and the anxiety, as you feel the emptiness of your soul, hear the word of Christ. They shall be satisfied. Because what God begins, God finishes. Again, going back to Paul, if he credits us and imputes to us and gives to us the righteousness of Christ and justification... He, the, the Bible tells us that he's, he's continuing that work in us and will bring it to completion, right? Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That means that he will enable and empower this sanctification in your life. Again, Paul says this, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He will bring it to completion. That process of sanctification will occur. We could take, uh, um, we could be assured of this. 
And I love 1 John. He says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we will see him as he is. So if you're wondering today, in the slowness of your sanctification, even feeling the weight of your continued struggle against anxiety and pride and lust and anger and bitterness and selfishness, because you're so in touch with your weaknesses, hear the hopeful word that when you see Jesus someday, you will be like him. Because those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says, they shall be satisfied. That's the promise of Christ. It's a hopeful word. Such a hope that we have. Hope for the hungry soul. For Jesus promises full satisfaction for those who are famished for righteousness. If you're hungering for righteousness today, if you're hungering to know and be like Jesus, hope in the midst of your hunger. Hope. None who wait for him shall be put to shame. Know as well that in the midst of your struggle in this way, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you whose role is to empower and equip and enable you to walk in conformity to God's will. Enable you to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's hope in this. We're not left without resources. We're not left on our own strength to figure it out. We're not left wondering if it will ever work out. We're not left wondering if the hunger and the thirsting inside of us to know and be like Christ will ever happen. It will. It's a hopeful word. And second of all, we see the grace of such a statement. So they shall be satisfied. That word satisfied is passive. (laughs) Passive. You know what that means? That means that we don't provide our own satisfaction. That means that Jesus gives it. They shall be satisfied. It is given. It happens to you. Again, the process of sanctification, we work in cooperation with God. So don't try to get me theologically here. But when Jesus promises satisfaction, what he's saying is, I'm going to give it. It's mine, and I'm going to give it to you. It's a work of grace. It's a work of divine grace. Unmerited favor. Once again, we see the grace of the Beatitudes. God is a gracious God who is flipping our expectations on human logic about who is going to be blessed. Not those who earn it, but those who receive it as a gift. Righteousness and the satisfaction of our hunger and thirst for such righteousness is a gift. It's something God just gives to us as an expression of his divine mercy. And so when we trust in Christ and we pursue him out of that trust, he continues to give. He continues to provide. Write that song. He giveth more grace. He giveth more grace. He's a gracious God. 
It's the Lord who graciously satisfies the hungry and thirsty soul. Psalm 107, 8 and 9 says this, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Why? For He satisfies the longing soul. He satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, He fills with good things. Again, this is a hunger for God. And God gives. What does He give? He gives Himself to us. He gives Christ to us. There's great hope for the hungry soul. For Jesus promises full satisfaction for those who are famished for righteousness. And as we embrace this gracious hope, we also begin to evaluate. We begin to think about what we hunger and thirst for. Take an evaluation of that. Like, again, if we're driven by desire and the hope of lasting satisfaction, okay, Jesus said those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're the ones going to be satisfied, okay. Is it fair to just begin to humbly admit that sometimes we just don't thirst and hunger for righteousness? Should we evaluate our own hearts today as the people of God? Begin to think about what really matters to us? What we long for? What we envision someday? What we're working and laboring for every moment in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our churches? What do we want out of this? What do we want? I think it's important because so easy, we just want approval from other people. We just want comfort in the midst of our pain. We just want control. Everything to just be chink, 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 done. We want to control everything. That's what we really want. We like success, validates us, we like security, save more, save more money, save, save, I feel secure, save, I feel secure, save, right? We want security, just in case the great economic earthquake occurs, I'll have $10 million, I'll be safe, security, it's what we're pursuing. It's often of our own doing. It's of our own efforts. None of these things are necessarily bad. And in many ways, all these things that we want are found in in relationship to God. Security, peace, right? Approval. But we look other places. We understand why Isaiah 55, 2 questions us. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? 750 or so B.C., the prophet spoke those words to Israel. Mm, I think they're pretty relevant today. Aren't they? What do you want? Well, your time, your thoughts, your actions, your, your bank statements, they tell the whole story about what you want. What do you want? Your dreams. Your frustrations, what you don't have. 
making you mad because you think you deserve something, you're entitled to something. Man, all that stuff just reveals what you really want. And oftentimes it's bread that does not satisfy. It's not bread. It does not satisfy is a more accurate way to put it. So again, I'm not here to now make us feel guilty after the grace. I think it's important that we evaluate and maybe ask this question, just humbly admitting that we often do this, that there are, there are uh, competing desires that can pull us away from the great desire of knowing and being like Christ. So how do we deepen our hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is maybe a better question as we bring this to a close. How do we deepen our hunger and our thirst for righteousness? Well, Thomas Chalmers talked a little bit about this in a uh, well-known article, essay, whatever, uh, called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. He talks about there are two ways to cultivate God-glorifying desires and to put to death sinful ones. He says, on the one hand, you could just spend a lot of time pointing the finger at the evils of the world. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. That's really naughty, and you won't be happy in the end. Right? We all know human nature. It's like, well, I'm doing that. Right? Like, that's just how we roll. Right? And, but that's fair, right? First John, do not love the world or the things in the world. So he's not saying don't do that. Don't teach people and command people to not love the world. But he's saying that even though it's an important part of shaping proper affections, he's saying the more effective, lasting way is to paint the beautiful picture of that which is more worthy of our desire. And so he talks about replacing desire, the object of your desire. He says the only way to dispossess it of an old affection, that is our heart, it is by the expulsive power of a new one. Expulse, expel, go away. The only way you can expel an old one is to embrace a new one. It has an expulsive power to it. He says, exchanging an old affection for a new one will alone suffice, suffice for the rescue and recovery of the heart from wrong affection that domineers over it. So again, desire is not bad. It's how we're made. We're made to desire. So stop trying to only suppress desire. It needs sanctified. It, the, the evil desires of our heart need to be done away with, yes, but oh, the beauty and the joy of just embracing a worthy object of our affection. And that is God. That is Christ. That is His love, His righteousness, His finished work for us, the relationship that He has purchased for us, the pardon that He gives to us. Right? He's when he was here, he, he invited people to come. Right? I'm the living water. I'm the living water. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst. I'm the bread of life. So when you know and see the beauty and the glory 
and the satisfying nature of Christ, you're less and less drawn away to the things of the world, the distractions. You know you've gone there, you've tasted it, it's left you high and dry, you're still empty. There's no lasting satisfaction there. And you know how uh, unparalleled the, the satisfaction and the joy of Christ is. It's the only way you're going to deepen that hunger. And so maybe even more practically, how do we now do this? I would just say three simple things. One, pray. Guys, pray for a new affection. Admit it. God, I don't want you. I know I should. I do, that's why I'm praying, but, but my desires aren't focused. My desires are often distracted. They're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Change my heart. Change my desires. Change the, what, what I love, right? It's like Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence, right? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David, just being honest, I'm not happy with your salvation. Kind of boring. Some of you may be there this morning. Heard it all before. It's just getting old, getting boring. Maisie says the same thing every week. Right? That may be true. But maybe you just go to God and pray. Ask, Lord, give me a new affection. Maybe add that to your prayer life this week and just see what God does with that. Restore to me the joy of just knowing you. Restore to me the joy of that. And then you know what? I want, restore to me the joy of living in conformity to your will. Pray. Pray. Second thing, and it's related, is something that uh, Piper talks about in his book, Hunger for God. It's really a book on fasting and prayer. And so, yes, I'm saying it. I don't even want to hear it, but I'm saying it. Pray and fast. Fasting deepens one's hunger for God. Right? It's been known to do that. Piper says this, he says, the birthplace of Christian fasting is in homesickness for God. Where we will do anything or go without anything if by means we might protect ourselves from the deadening effects of innocent delights. He's basically saying that there are many things, again, that we go to that aren't bad things. Food, technology, friendships, right? Um, television, entertainment. On their own, they aren't necessarily bad. Um, vacationing, right? Walk in the woods. I don't know what you like. <laughs> Not for me. I'll, babe, I'll go, though. I'll go. Um, those things can deaden our desire. They can be temporal quick fixes that lure us away from the living God. Innocent delights. Uh, when relied upon, they deaden our desire for God, is what he's saying. 
We'll go without anything. We'll do anything if by means we might protect ourselves from the deadening effects of innocent delights and preserve the sweet longings of our homesickness for God. So fast. And maybe it's not just food. Some of you cats need to fast Facebook. Right? Like I probably do too. I'm saying fast. Maybe that enables you to deepen your longing for God. Right? That's what the church has done in history and what Piper, I think, properly recommends us to. So, fa- so pray for a new affection, fast for a new affection, and feast. 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 That's my final thing I'm going to say. Feast. Right? That's the nature of it. The more we... Uh, it's like absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> Fewy. Right? <laughs> We were in Italy in May, and by like day nine, I'm like, do we even have kids? Do we still have kids? I could do this every day. Wake up, have a cappuccino, like, I'm good, man. Absence does not make the heart grow fonder. It just doesn't, right? When I travel, it's like, babe, I miss you day one, two, and three, and then day four, I'm like, did she even call? We're good. We're good. Right? You go without, you go weeks on end without reading scripture. You go weeks on end without praying. And you know what's interesting? You don't even feel like praying anymore. You're good without it. You don't need the scriptures. You're fine without the scriptures. Right? They're boring. Kind of out of touch with my nine to five. You're doing something else for your hungers and your thirsts. What I'm saying is if you want to deepen hunger, keep eating. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about feasting upon Christ. So feast upon Christ. Feast upon his word. Right? If you go back to Isaiah 55, what does he say after he asks the question, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? And then he tells you what to do. He says, listen to me. That's it. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. It's his word. It's his word. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. If you're hungry, you're thirsty, listen. Listen. Read. Pray. Feast. Fast. Try it. See if it does not deepen your hunger for God. And may we never forget the passion of Christ. The singular passion of Jesus Christ who came into this world, who lived a perfect, sinless life in full obedience to the Father. That his number one passion was to live and serve and obey in total conformity to the will of the Father. And that will of the Father brought him all the way to Golgotha, all the way to the cross, all the way to his substitutionary death on our behalf. No matter how much anguish that was in his soul, he he wanted escape, but he hungered for something so much more. Obedience. He hungered for the joy and the glory of his Father. That's what he hungered for. And it was his obedience. It was his conformity to the Father's will. It was what Hebrews talks about. 
And really, this is going to be an introduction to the Lord's table for us this morning. We're going to go right in to feasting. Feasting. Hebrews 10, 5 through 10 says this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, that's Jesus, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. That's Christ. Singular passion to see the will of God carried out as it is written of me in the book of the scroll. And when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Verse 10, and by that will, by that will, we have been sanctified. Do you hear that? This is always rooted in the foundation of Christ's perfect atoning work for us. Any hope of blessing, any hope of satisfaction, any hope of righteousness, it goes, always goes back to the cross of Jesus Christ. What he has done. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And all God's people said, Amen. There's great hope for the hungry soul. There's great hope for the hungry soul. 